We are all motivated by meaning, which is why the reInvent podcast aims to bring you a wide range of relevant information, focusing on all aspects of physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. The objective of this show is to pick the minds of some of the most interesting people, all with their own stories of personal transformation, so that you can make the changes towards a more meaningful, healthier, and happier life. My name is Nikki Robertson. I'm a clinical nutritionist, NLP practitioner, and founder of reInvent Health. In this, the 23rd episode of the reInvent Health podcast, I chat with Despina Senator, who empowers women with the knowledge and mindset to reach their full potential. Having worked in the corporate environment with three children, all under the age of seven, Des understands all too well what it takes for women to juggle a career, a family, and deal with self-doubt. In this episode, we discuss how women can reconnect with what's important to them. I think this is for probably the majority of people who don't feel like they are living their purpose or doing what they're meant to be doing. You know, I'm sure you you remember that my husband and I went through quite a big trauma in 2015. And even though my entire corporate career, I kind of got the feeling that I wasn't doing what I was meant to be doing because every two years or so, I start getting the urge to look for something else. And I think that's probably a sign for anyone that if you're not living your purpose or doing the work that you meant to be doing, you are never going to be settled. You're never going to find the meaning that you're looking for in the work. And so after that experience, I started questioning my life in general, but specifically my work. And yes, I mean, I did very well in corporate and I, you know, I enjoyed the stuff that I did, but I always felt like there was something more. You know, once I started realizing that what I'm passionate about is empowering women, and it was in corporate when I started doing this um, Empowering Women in the Workplace initiative, and then I also started running an action learning program across the group, I realized that, wow, you know, the thing that I'm really passionate about is watching other people grow and also getting them to realize that they shouldn't be stuck in their own self-limiting assumptions. And so when eventually I did decide to leave corporate, I mean, there was a lot of internal uh, questioning, am I doing the right thing? You know, we start, we start um, almost allowing those self-limiting beliefs to hold us back. And yeah, so I started like saying, oh no, you can't do that and started looking for excuses. But what happened is Sophia at the time was quite little and she was getting sick quite often. And so I just found myself burnt out because I was not sleeping. I think I was getting four hours of sleep, of broken sleep every night. And I was still trying to do 150% at work. And eventually I said to my husband, I think I need to leave. I know what I want to do. The stuff that I'm doing around empowering women in the workplace is not something that the organization is ready for. There's no specific role that I could go into doing that. I'm doing it for our area, which at the time was um, the actuarial group risk and actuarial area. And I just said it's so limiting because this is what I enjoy doing. And I think that I can take the step with his support. Obviously, I couldn't do it without him um, supporting me. But he also agreed that, you know, the kids possibly need a bit more of my time and attention and the guilt, you know, the guilt that you feel as a working mom because the kids were getting sick and I found myself working from a pediatric ward or found myself working in the doctor's room, you know, because um, you feel like you need to be doing that. And so when I eventually took the leap, I knew that it was the right thing to do, but it definitely wasn't an easy, you know, transition, 
if I can put it that way. What I find quite confounding in this day and age when we've got access to so much information and so much help is that firstly, unless you've worked in a corporate environment, most of us don't realize how male-dominated corporate work still is, where women are still not Mm -hmm. apparently regarded in the same light or not seen with the same value. I don't suppose this is is true for all companies, but I hear about this a lot, and I don't work in in a corporate environment, so it's very alien to me. So I find it quite Mm -hmm. weird. When, when women say this, but yes. it's, it's really, it is, a, it is a thing. And then also that women generally, and I can speak for myself here, uh, we think we need to be all things to all people, be work, mm-hmm. be a mother, get it all right, be perfect, and just keep going, which is, you know, it, it seems, and I could be wrong, but men don't always seem to suffer from the same affliction generally speaking. Mm-hmm. What is that about us that we feel we need to prove our worth? All the time. I think, um, and again, also speaking from experience and being in corporate and working, you know, um, coaching women who are working in corporate, there's always this tug of war around you have to be the perfect mom because that is what society says you have to be. And then remember, women only started working in professional um, careers much later than men because, you know, the role of the woman was to be at home with the kids. And so I think there's just so much pressure from society for women to prove, A, that they belong in corporate, to prove that they still, you know, should be working professionals, whereas I don't think there's so much pressure on men to prove that they are good parents. And so the role of being the nurturer still falls squarely on the woman's um, shoulders. And yet we want to work, you know, and I think that's where the internal tug of war happens. Unfortunately, we are really hard on ourselves. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we allow the messages in society to put pressure on us as well. And unless we can get to a point where we decide we are okay with, you know, being who we are and what we want to do, we're always going to struggle with this. And and I think, you know, I mean, that's how I um, experienced it. And that's how a lot of the women in corporate, I find, also experience it. Um, and I think there will be a shift because I think now men are wanting, a lot of the millennials, the younger generation of men, I mean, certainly my husband, you know, they want to be involved with the kids. They want to be in their lives and present. And so I think slowly, slowly, and it, unfortunately it is very slowly, I think we will find a place where eventually we will get to an equal corporate world, but it is unfortunately going to take time. Only a generation ago, most women didn't work. They did stay at home. Our parents were probably born just straight after World War II, where it was a very different world because everything else has sped up and evolved so quickly. Uh, Mindset and attitudes and the way we function in society still got to play a catch-up absolutely you you created a a brand a personal brand called purposeful woman and Mm. under your brand you run a multitude of different courses different kinds of training is it just for corporates or can anybody do your training how do How does anybody um, access what you're able to provide? It is directed at women in corporate, women who are working uh, because of the insight I have into, you know, being a working mom in corporate. Just, you know, around the imposter syndrome and that, that, that can come up, for instance, anywhere. But I find that, you know, in corporate, that's where it kind of starts. I, I do mother um, maternity transition coaching. And then again, is also to help women transition back into the workplace after they've had children. 
because I, f- I have found and I found it in myself as well. You know, the transition isn't an easy one. And so a lot of the stuff that I offer or the courses that I offer is, ho- is trying to help women in corporate to step out of their comfort zone. Um, it's not competence that's the issue. You know, there are brilliant women working in corporate. There are brilliant women everywhere. But I think that the thing that's holding us back is courage, is, um, you know, the fear of not being perfect, the fear of failure. And so a lot of the, the courses that I offer in the coaching is to help women to step out of the self-limiting beliefs and assumptions or the labels that they've placed on themselves based on whatever their culture, their upbringing, you know, society at large has placed on them. Because I don't believe that we are incapable of running organizations, of running big teams, of running profit and loss centers in companies. I just think that Again, we strive for perfection a lot of times, and this is a it is a generalization, but the research is there to support it. That only a few women or a few um, a low percentage of women would take the risk, um, even if they knew that there was a possibility of failure. Yes, and um, and and that is why my focus is around you know helping women in corporate specifically to to just believe in themselves and to smash their assumptions, really. Mm. Let's step back to imposter syndrome. What is imposter syndrome and how prolific is this? So um, imposter syndrome is a belief and it's a a self-doubt, a a very acute self-doubt that people are going to figure out that you are not as good as you are. So essentially you feel like a complete fraud. You feel that despite, and it, and it affects high-achieving individuals. When it originally came out in the 1970s, and this is the thing that really blew my mind, was that if this has been around from the 1970s, why are we not talking about it? And at the time, it was when women were entering professional careers. And the two women who came up with this thing, imposter syndrome, discovered that in therapy sessions, these women specifically were completely... Um, doubting their own capabilities, despite the fact that they had a track record of success and achievements. So it's our own personal perception of our ability, our competence um, relative to other people and the fear that we will be found out to be not as competent, not as capable as people think we are. And the irony of it is, is that other people believe that you are competent and capable so, you know, you get appointed to positions, you get stretch assignments, you get promoted because they believe that you are capable and competent. You yourself don't believe it. Is it upbringing? Is it, um, mm. you know, we often model our parents. Where do we mm. learn to feel not good enough? So it is not genetic. Um, imposter syndrome is not a genetic condition, <laughs> but it is a... The way we internalize messages, and yes, definitely from the time when we are children. So what are the messages that we are getting from our parents? What are the messages that we are getting from society? So um, a lot of times, and, and even with myself, my parents never ever said anything about me being, you know, top of the class or whatever. There was no like huge um, celebration, should I say. And I grew up with this thing that, you know, that is the, that is the limit at which that I, sh- or the, the, the level at which I should be operating at all the time. 
Yeah. And so failure for me is not something that I'm very good with. Well, I never was, definitely not in corporate. And always feeling like if I fail, then people are going to realize I'm actually not as clever. I don't believe belong here. So you could be, so the message is, for example, you could be a straight A student and you come home with one B and your parents say to you, they don't say, wow, that's amazing. You did such an amazing job. Well done. They say, what happened to the other A? And so you are going to grow up if you don't change the, the way you, re, you know, if you don't reframe that as you get older, you'll go into the world thinking that the only way to be successful is if you're perfect and if you get 100% and if you're always excelling. So that is definitely the root cause is messaging from when we were younger. If we don't reframe it, it can create this huge imposter syndrome later in life. Yeah, and I think even these days, girls are applauded for being pretty and for, mm. you know, for, not for having good values or mm. going the distance or giving it their best shot. Where, where, where boys, little boys, and even with conscious parenting, are, are sort of given accolades for just making the rugby team. They don't necessarily have to win. So there's a very different way that we parent and what we, what we give our kids praise for unconsciously, I think. I mean, most parents wouldn't dare do these things if they knew it was causing, going to cause damage down the line. But it's, mm. I suppose it's our own maps that we put on our kids without thinking. And, Absolutely. You know, and for me, it's, I'm very conscious of what I, I say to my daughter, but I catch myself saying things like, oh, you're so gorgeous. And I think, you know, maybe we, I shouldn't be really putting attention on that and rather <laughs> you know, on something else because I don't want to be that her, that's her locus of focus uh, for mm. the rest of her life because it, it's really, it means nothing at the end of the day. Her value system is far more important. So I, I suppose it's consciousness and, and practice, you know, just to, to change mm. how we communicate to our kids. No, absolutely. And, and I mean, myself as well, you know, because I'm so aware of of the imposter syndrome, um, I tried, you know, I watch what I say to my kids, I watch what I say to my daughter, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes you, you, you can't always be conscious of it, stuff happens, you know. But for me, I think it's also about how do we raise girls to not fear failure and to not strive for perfection, because what is perfection anyway? You know, it's, it's yeah. different for everyone. Mm. Um, and to rather see the opportunity or the learning opportunity in the failure. Um, and I think this, that's not the messaging that we, we are giving our, our girls. Certainly not, you know, when we were growing up, it was around good girls do this and good girls don't do that. And, you, you know, you can't do this because you're a girl or you're a lady. But you don't, you don't see your parents saying that to the boys. You know, there was no such thing as don't climb the tree. You're going to fall and hurt yourself to the boys, to the girls it was. So how do we not bring in that same messaging to this generation of girls? The young girls that I see in my practice are often I mean, teenagers that are very high achievers who do very well at sport, mm. um, who, who really do well. So they set this bar extremely high for themselves. And when the results start to slip because they don't have any life skills to manage their stress or the workload, their self-esteem goes out the window and then they start making decisions or making choices that are really not in their best interest and not in line with who they are as a person. And from there on, it just becomes a lifetime of selling yourself short, which is tragic. Mm, exactly. That's exactly right. You know, um, initially when they did the research on the imposter syndrome, they thought it only affected high achieving women. But then later on, you know, as more people started doing studies and stuff, it affects everyone. 
It affects high school girls. It affects university students. It affects entrepreneurs. It affects mothers. I mean, when I became a mom, cheapest that the imposter syndrome come in carpet under my under my feet because I felt so incompetent as a mom and I felt like I was failing. And and so it comes anywhere. You know, it manifests anywhere. It's first generation students, first generation professionals, um, depending on the context of how you were brought up and, and where, especially in our society where it's so um, mixed um, in terms of races and cultures, you know, it can rear its head anywhere. And so, um, you know, it saddens me that teenage girls already in high school are feeling like they don't belong. And what they're saying about young girls is that they start, you know, social comparison, obviously a huge thing, you know, social media also amplifying these feelings of not belonging and not being perfect or good enough. And it's damaging, you know, so they're saying that girls will start isolating themselves more in, in university than boys because then they're not only comparing themselves with other people, but they're also comparing themselves to girls in their own social group because they don't want to feel like they are the one that doesn't fit in. So I've done this talk, the imposter syndrome talk to girls at the University of Pretoria, and it's an emotional session for them because they realize that they have this thing that they thought was only them. And I think that's the thing. The imposter syndrome can be quite lonely. It can make you feel quite lonely because you think you're the only one who's walking around feeling this way. So, yeah, I mean, that's why for me getting this message out, you know, doing talks on the imposter syndrome is just something I'm really, really passionate about because I don't want young girls, I don't want women in corporate to be holding themselves back with this misconception of who they are and this untruth that they are not capable and that they don't belong. So, yeah, I think we can say the same for depression, anxiety, um, not feeling like a good enough mum, because most women don't talk. They don't, they, we don't have the friendships, or many people don't have the friendships where they can just be absolutely honest and say, this is how I'm feeling. And the next person Mm. will go, well, you're not alone. I feel like that too. And that automatically makes you feel not so alien and Mm. not a failure. If we can just share, you know, if they were their mentors for the greater whole in schools, in companies where somebody could go and just talk to, I'm not talking about a professional therapist, but yes, yes. who are more encouraged to talk among themselves without fear of ridicule or judgment, we would all be in a stronger position. And it's just so mm. bad that we don't. Absolutely. And, you know, so while they're saying that um, women, you know, this is something that affects women, it also affects men. But men will not talk about it, you know. So that is 70% of people will feel like an imposter at some point in their in their careers, predominantly women. That's always the caveat, you know, or the extra piece of the sentence that gets added on, specifically women. But it's just that men don't share their feelings about how they're feeling. And, you know, recent uni- um, research at the University of Dartmouth, I think that's how you pronounce it, in America, they did um, a survey amongst students, I think in the second or third, they were undergrads, and they found that the young male students were also feeling the imposter syndrome, but they were feeling it more deeply because they don't talk about it. They will not admit it. And so they walk around with these feelings of inadequacy and um, not being good enough. And one of the one of the tools that I teach, you know, or I, I share with the women or the young ladies is to start talking about it. Talk about how you feel because chances are 
somebody in your social group or in you know in your office is feeling exactly the same way and the more you talk about it the more you desensitize yourself to how you're feeling um, i mean to how strong this imposter feeling is for you yes. so there really is merit in talking sharing feelings and mentoring you know having somebody who can who can relate to how you're feeling it's so important and it's just something that we've lost along with the tribe is this this whole support structure the wise woman the the you know the the group that supports and it's just tragic to see what's going on with with young girls but you you also do a course specific to young girls to teach them how to become more resilient to make better choices you've written a book as well what prompted that so so the course that i do um, i don't have any courses currently for young girls but i am definitely looking into it because i think there's a need but the why i wrote the book was for two reasons number one because of the the lack of insight into the number of careers that there are currently out there for any young person but also to highlight that there are so many women in these so-called male male dominated or male careers should i say and i wanted to show the girls that there are young ladies like them from the similar backgrounds who are pursuing things like aeronautical engineering things like firefighting so that was the one um aspect but the other aspect is having grown up with depression myself and anxiety you know i know how how isolating that can feel and how lonely that can feel and so mindfulness practices i've included uh, mindfulness practices throughout the book just to help them to regulate their anxiety or if there's mild depression you know and just to make them aware that there are things that they can do to um help with that to also share tools with them around how to build courage and how to be kind to themselves and a lot of the quotes that i've put in the book are around you know not comparing themselves to social media and not comparing themselves to others to believe in themselves to be kind to themselves to know that they we the world needs unique we don't need yeah. carbon copies of everybody else and really just trying to build their self worth and the reason I, i chose a book is because not everybody has access to technology you know they don't have access to kindle or whatever it is and i also want to make it interactive so whilst it's a book it's also like a journal and the mindfulness practices are interactive so coloring in you know doodling um things like that and it was just to start at a younger age we need to start younger if we want a generation of girls who are more confident in themselves where to from here i mean we're sitting in the middle of a, a very disruptive time in history which has made many of us sit and ponder what we're going to do next and how we're going to diversify so what has come up for you perhaps in the last month or two with taking this forward and growing this incredible mm. you're giving to so many people so i mean i think for me it's around you know um technology is a way of of reaching more people um i've never been and and i mean this is again my stuff um i hated being in front of cameras and things like that you know and now with teaching virtually for for the business school that I work for you know realizing that people can be across the country and you can all be in the same room because of technology and so i think what i'd like to do is maybe do a couple of online courses maybe record the imposter syndrome as a online um course or a webinar to embrace 
technology to embrace the fact that you know not everybody's going to be able to come into a face-to-face environment yeah so yeah i think it, it look it takes a lot of time to get used to talking into a camera but i think we've all been thrown in the deep end here um <laughs> and it's a sink or swim you know but it is it does you know what somebody i i really respect once said how big is your classroom and that just mm. that landed for me is if you're going to help people change their lives you have to get to thousands if not millions of people and the only way to do that is through technology um you can't change the world one person at a time unfortunately so yes we've got to embrace that and perhaps going forward is is skills so this has been fantastic what i'm going to do is put all of your contact details and links on the into the the show notes and um put it out there and let's see how we can um spread the word spread the love spread the confidence and um help help you to change the lives of so many more people and i think if we've got to change the way we think and see ourselves we're holding back on our potential you know yeah. the world needs to hear our stories the world needs to um you never know who you're going to impact you know the reason i called it purposeful women is because i really think that as anyone but as women we need to be more deliberate about our action and um you know it is possible to follow your passion and work at the same time it doesn't mean that you have to stop everything it's just one day at a time